This is Stephen Francis, and you're listening to the Humble and Honest Podcast. Hola. Today's episode is with my very good friend, Eric Hodge. Eric Hodge, a.k.a. Sir Hodge, is a creative director who tells stories through photography and film. As a marketplace missionary, his main focus is to build the kingdom of God. Some clients of his include the NFL, the Charlotte Hornets, Nike, Jordan, rapper Lecrae, and the Carolina Panthers. Today, we share our personal experiences as Liberty University graduates and all the scandal going on with our alma mater. We want to not throw mud at the situation any more than there already has been, but you better believe we will definitely be humble and honest about what it is that's going on. Here for yourself now, my conversation with Eric Hodge. My friend, Eric Hodge, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Stephen Francis, for inviting me on. First off, I got to say, the name of this podcast is incredible. And that alone just makes you want to be on the podcast. But the fact that you're hosting it, this is your podcast, I feel like an honored guest. So thank you. Man, it feels like an honor to have you on here. You have been not just a great friend, you've been a great influence in my life. And you're also, through the power of Jesus, I believe, making a huge impact on culture too. But there's a lot of people that don't know you as well as I do. So Can you give us a brief history? Who is Eric Hodge? How did he become the successful person that he is today? Yes. So to give some people some context, Francis and I are friends from Liberty, but we're also roommates on student leadership. So we go way back and uh, have truly shared life in the trenches. So just to give people a little bit of context, as you may hear us banter back and forth a little bit, we got a lot of inside jokes and everything, but we won't go too crazy. Yeah. So I am originally from New York, uh, from the Bronx. And uh, I also claim Tampa, Florida as home as well, too. That's where my family's from. So, uh, And I'm also Puerto Rican and a little bit Jamaican. So everything is Irie. And so they say I'm like a New Yorican, Florida Rican, you know, all these different types of things. My dad was in the military growing up. So Tampa and New York were like home base, but I was able to live around the world uh, due to the fact that my dad was in the army. And uh, throughout those experiences of living all around the world, I gained a true love for culture, for art, for history and just kind of how the world works visually and um, how it looks. And so from there, I just kind of grabbed the camera as a kid and took photos and that translated into film and college. I studied advertising and public relations and that just grew this deep love for me to be able to create beautiful images, tell beautiful stories, create campaigns and to get paid doing it. So that's what I've been able to do. Fortunately, I've been able to work with nonprofit clients, Christian ministries, but then also to work with a lot of brands that you guys know and love and which has been incredible through sports, financial industry as well too. So just trying to be a marketplace missionary is what I call myself. I absolutely love that. I really do. And guys, if you haven't seen Eric Hodge's work, it is quite the thing to behold. I absolutely love it. You know, we have to talk about liberty, right? And I want to know from you, because there's my experiences, but I want to know yours personally. What brought you to Liberty? And even looking back now, what did you enjoy most about being a part of that school? Yeah, so not in the most cliche way, but honestly, there's a few moments in my life where it's like, you you know, without a shadow of a doubt, it was the Lord. Like God is like, boom, this is what you need to do and where you need to go. And Liberty is truly one of them. 
So when I was in high school, I applied to a lot of different colleges and uh, some art schools, some state schools and stuff and got in, got some scholarships and different things. And as I visited a lot of those schools, I felt as though these schools were probably not the best environment for me just due to I just became a believer and I just knew that like I probably would fall to a lot of these influences and different things. But actually, I was on College Board, the website, College Board, um, I think it's .edu, and you can like look up colleges, like where you sign up to take the SAT. So I was on that website, yeah. and I was searching for colleges, and uh, somehow Liberty University came up. I had never even heard of the school, never knew anything about it. And so I called them on the phone, and because I had my info through College Board, they ended up saying, hey, you can actually apply on the phone if you want to go through like the application process. And I was like applying for college on the phone. I was like, I've never heard of this. <laughs> Maybe they were trying to meet their, you know, Latino quota. I don't know. But, uh, so I, I applied on the phone and, uh, they're like, yeah, so you've been accepted. I was like, wow, <laughs> I cannot believe I've been accepted. So I was like, all right, this is cool. So they, they invited me to this event that they call Seafall college for a weekend for high school students to get a taste and experience of college for a weekend. So I went up there and still, I didn't even know that Liberty was a Christian school. I wasn't a Christian at the specific time when I went to Liberty for Seafall. It was just kind of weird going there because they're like, hey, this school stands to train champions for Christ. We're here to honor God with our lives. We want to be able to raise up missionaries to go out all around the world, whatever sector and field it is. We want to be excellent in what we do. So I was like, okay, my perception of following God was just, it was very much so get a tattoo of Mary or the cross or rosary beads and kind of keep it moving. It wasn't this life, you know, filled with the spirit and walking in love and honoring the Lord. So it wasn't any of those types of things. And so I really love the school. It's a beautiful campus and, you know, in the Western part of uh, Virginia and met great people there. And I actually went to church for one of the first times at campus church there. And um, kind of afterwards, I was like praying again, still not a believer, but I was like, man, Lord, I need some direction in my life. And if this is where you want me to be, you know, please make that like really known to me. And I just felt like this prompting of like, man, this is where I need to be. And so I was like, Hey, this is a school I'm going to go to. And I kind of never looked back from that, that point. And so going to Liberty, I think one of the things that I most enjoyed was the community that I was able to build, not by any of my creation on my own, but really it was the, by default to the dorm that I was put on. The first dorm that I was on was uh, called 23, uh, the building 23. And I had met some of the greatest guys ever in my life. Tyler Burns, he was featured on your podcast as well. And Tyler Burns was one of the first people to ever disciple me as a Christian. And so he really, you know, took me into the word, showed me who Christ was by modeling it and, and showed me that my life could radically change and honor God through my gifts and my talents and my time and my treasure. And so that just spoke to me. I was like, man, I've never seen this before, but also was able to use music and culture and history to also teach me as well and disciple me and just like how God has called us to view the world. And so, and I just never really understood this radical love that was given to me. And so being on, being on the hall with Tyler and Casey Helmick and a lot of others as well on that first dorm, it was just a really great experience of true brotherhood of other guys that were away from their families and really looked at our dorm as like, Hey, this is a very safe place. And I talked to a lot of my other friends that went to other colleges and they never kind of had that sense of community. It was just like where you live and you kind of knew people and said hello. But like, I felt like our hall was truly genuine. Like if you had a need, you could bring that to people. If you needed prayer, people would pray for you. If you wanted someone just to go have dinner with, if you wanted to, you know, go shoot hoops or go to the gym or whatever. Like you had people on the hall that was really there. So that camaraderie was just something that I just enjoyed. I just felt like I fit right in and I felt like, man, this is really the place for me to be. 
I could definitely resonate with what you're saying. I know I personally felt that same level of community and connection uh, throughout many years of me attending Liberty University. And, you know, what's also funny, I didn't know this, but I'm just like you. I had no idea what Liberty University was. I heard about it and I remember telling people that I was going to Liberty University and they'd be like, yeah, Jerry Falwell School, right? And I'd be like, who is Jerry Falwell? I've never... I have never heard of that dude. My area of the world, the culture that I grew up in, Jerry Falwell was just not a name that popped up. But once I started attending there, you become very aware of who Jerry Falwell is for sure. So a lot of great things. But I do want to know, you know, looking back on it, because hindsight's 2020, what were some negative experiences and feelings that you even now have regarding your time at Liberty University? Do you have any? Yeah, so hindsight is twenty twenty in the year of twenty twenty as well. So we shout out, Indeed. shout out to twenty twenty, right? I think at Liberty, like you know, with all great things, there's also the other side of the coin of things that necessarily aren't your most favorite. And so, I have never experienced more face to face racism in my life in a Christian mm-hmm. environment than being at Liberty University. Same. I was called the N word repeatedly by student leadership. By RAs, I was called the N-word from other student leaders, and uh, not with an A, with the E-R at the end. You know, just this very us versus them mentality. And during that time of being at Liberty, I remember that Tyler Burns actually was a a featured guest on a radio uh, show at Liberty 90.9 The Light. And I went with him a couple times, and I remember him first talking about some of the experiences that he had and just like what it feels to be like a black man in a white predominant university. And that just gave me language and context to understand what it feels like to be a person of color in a white dominated space. And I think that in the experience that I had at Liberty, you know, it's, again, it's a place that I love and it's a place that I cared about. And I have cherishable memories and friendships for the rest of my life. And I also met my wife there as well too. But at the same time, you still can't ignore some of the pains and realities that you've had to deal with and confront. And one of those realities for me was being in a white, dominant, conservative, evangelical, Republican university that blended Mm -hmm. the lines of politics and conservatism, lifestyle and influence and thinking with Christianity itself. And really kind of painting a picture that American exceptionalism is the gospel, that you know, these right wing, very conservative beliefs is the same things that Jesus specifically stood up for and announced to the world. And so that was really hard to deal with because I think a lot of people's ignorance and their prejudice and the racist ideas that were shared came out of that. That was the fruit mm-hmm. of the root of this conservative ideology that a lot of these uh, students and even faculty and staff believed. And so I think I think very far and few between where there there were not enough representation in leadership or even guests that came to speak at Liberty that I could look up to as an example, like a T'Challa King, you know, Black Panther and look up and say, man, I can identify with this hero, this idol and someone I look up to. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Chad, you know, just Bozeman. So, but yeah, just using him contextually as well. That's just an example of some, a cultural icon you can look up to and be like, man, I relate to this. And there wasn't a lot of that at Liberty. And so you're Mm -hmm. trying to find yourself in Christ, but you're also trying to find yourself in your culture of who you are as a person. So true. You know, I also resonate with that because 
where I grew up, again, in my part of the world, in my part of the country, I was one of those people that would have said racism is a thing of the past, Mm. that everybody gets along no matter what your race is. And man, I I got friends to this day that are very white, are some of the whitest people you'll ever meet that were eating curry goat at my Jamaican family's house and we were loving it. And I went over their house and had their casserole and all that stuff. And, And I went to Liberty thinking that this would be more the same. And I realized, especially when things became political, just how different other people did see not only myself as a black person, but even the things that are represented, me being a part of a black church growing up and Mm -hmm. having some different belief systems. And to your point, there was often a level of Christianity is defined to look this specific way, which often did feel like it was trying to portray an American conservative Republican evangelical way of faith. And because of that, There was often a lot of anxiety. Mm. There was a lot of doubt on, am I living right as a Christian? Is my family doing this right? Mm. Are we we seeing things in the right way? And and unfortunately, there were too many times where I kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater in my faith. And I needed to actually, leaving liberty, deconstruct and reconstruct my faith all over again from the proper context of how the gospel is actually written out and not just based off an interpretation of an institution. Wow. And, And that's hard. And sometimes I wonder, and I don't know if you ever feel this, sometimes I wonder, are the things that I experienced, especially in the areas of race, unique to liberty? Or was it unique to just me being a part of a school that had a bunch of different people of different races and backgrounds and political views together? And I think someone could make a case for that. But then I also can't help but compare myself to the stories of other people that went to secular colleges and other places and did not feel the same experiences. Mm -hmm. So it sometimes begs me to wonder, man, was there something about their specifically, Liberty specifically, that brought up these feelings of racism and other difficult situations like that? But I think too, if if I could respond to that, the, in in a pie chart type of way, I think maybe that what was kind of in the water was maybe a good 25% of like what is in the water and the culture of being at Liberty. And I think the other 75% of it to what you said was you have so many people coming from all parts of the country and all parts of the world Mm -hmm. to be at Liberty. And the fact that they think so similar and they kind of have the same language and they voice things out of a sense of not understanding the other like black and brown lives and being able to realize what their culture is and also being able to delineate between the different aspects and flavors and tastes and versions of Christianity that we all kind of have and we bring to the table. That taught me that much of the discipleship and ideology in America has influenced itself and rooted itself in many different cities and denominations and churches all over America. So the fact that someone from Iowa is going to say something very similar to someone who grew up in Alabama. That's a telltale sign that different state, different city, but very different and very similar experiences to create the same type of ideology that is not understanding of quote unquote, the other. That's what, Mm. like for me, I was able to realize, I go, Oh wow, this is like nationwide. This isn't something that just Mm. exists here. And so as I got to know more students and understand the churches that they grew up in and the households they grew up in and what their families told them, it just seemed to me a lot of the conversations 
And a lot of things that they were told both in their churches and at the quote unquote dinner table and like Thanksgiving meals with extended family was very similar dialogue. And I'm like, mm-hmm. where is everyone learning this from? You know what I mean? Like where, where are you guys all getting this from? And I think one common thread that you and I can both agree on that we heard was like a lot of our white friends were not attracted nor dated black girls. Yeah. And it's like, well, how did, how does someone across different States feel and learn the same way? to feel that type of sentiment towards a specific woman and a specific like black woman in and of itself. And that just was a sign to me that I was like, man, this is much deeper than I could just pinpoint in one specific way. I do want to talk now about Jerry Falwell Jr. All the things that have been happening on the news and we being students there, I don't know if you've ever heard of stories of things behind the scenes either. And I'll say this in my time going there, Jerry Jr. was like the party guy. Like when Jerry got on stage, he was very dry. He wasn't necessarily an exciting speaker, but anytime he got on stage, it meant like, oh shoot, we getting something free. (laughs) It's about to be ice cream. Um, Or they're going to build a $50 million building or something. Exactly. It's going to be something. But, you know, how do you feel in that? What are your personal feelings regarding the whole Jerry Jr. scandal? Hey, world. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Eric. I want to let you know of a couple ways that you can also support the show. If you haven't already, you can subscribe, share, and leave a review for the podcast so more people get the chance to know about it. Also, you can be a contributor through Patreon. For as low as $1 a month, you can help support this show and help continue these conversations. In fact, as a thank you to all of my Patreon listeners, they will be getting full, unedited version of all the episodes coming out in Season 2. Just in case you didn't know, you guys are only hearing a small clip, just a short snippet of all the things that's discussed, but all Patreon listeners will get to hear the raw, unedited truth that I share with some of these great Christian leaders. Check it out. The link is in the description below. But now let's check back in in this conversation with Eric Hodge. Yeah, I think, man, there's a multitude of different things that I'm feeling. I think one, I'm feeling sad. I feel sad for one being associated as a former student to Liberty because Mm -hmm. this made the headlines everywhere. I mean, you're like on your phone and you see CNN, USA Today, MSNBC, BBC, Bloomberg. I'm like, there is not a news outlet in the world that did not cover that. Yeah. And so you're seeing all that come in and it's just like, man, this is sad. This is devastating. It's embarrassing. And then after all that comes out, I mean, my phone just blows up from family, extended family and friends, you know, asking me, is it, is it true? Is it real? What, you know, what do you know? Did anything like this happen to you? And so just, I think just a sense of embarrassment. And then kind of after that first wave leaves, the next part that I feel is I genuinely feel a sense of sorriness for him. Like I genuinely feel like, Yes, he was this president and chancellor of this university, but at the end of the day, this is a man made in the image of God and is woefully broken. And Mm. that just breaks my heart. It really does. And I just was, it's like all the pieces come shattering down. It's like, man, I don't even know how to put this back up together again. Like, wait, how do I make sense of all of this? But then I think also there was another sense of relief. I go, I think anybody who attended Liberty is not surprised. 
None of us are yeah. like shocked when we read it. We're just like, I think we're more shocked at how deep and dark everything was than the actual fact of who it was with mm. and all the parties that were associated with and a, a sense of relief of like, man, this is, I'm glad this came out. Like God really exposes, you know, truth and, and brings light out of darkness. And this is a step and an opportunity for, for him to get healing and to just move forward. And also to a sense of relief for the university, I'm going man, I really think that they could be on the precipice of changing and really being innovative. So that's well, that's kind of like a lot of my thoughts in summary of the different waves that I felt. I can agree with that. I felt a sense of embarrassment. I'd say this year was probably one of the hardest years to tell people that I was a graduate at Liberty University. And that's tough because it's not necessarily like I'm ashamed of being a part of it. But now when Liberty gets brought up, it's associated with way more stuff than the collegiate aspect of it. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And th there was a little bit of kind of like, well, let me just say, you know, I went to college in Virginia and, and just keep it moving that way. I don't have to enter any conversations about some of the scandals or the interesting stuff that's been popping up. I do the same uh, thing. I'm like, I went yeah. to school in Virginia. They're like, where? I'm like, uh, it's not far from Virginia Tech or, or uh, UVA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's a part of it. And then to your point also, there is a level of, man, this guy's broken. There's some things that have happened that are truly a sign of corruption, of autonomy just gone wrong. Mm. And I think if I can be honest, if I can share like more of a grievance. This is the Humble and Honest podcast. This is Humble and Honest. What bothers me most about what happened, on top of obviously it being problematic, is the lack of repentance that I've heard from him mm. since the stuff got out. Yeah. And he did something that I thought was really kind of just distasteful to me. And for anyone that's not fully aware of what's what we're talking about, Jerry Falwell Jr., who was the Chancellor of Liberty University, was first put on a leave from his position due to inappropriate picture that he had with a fellow out. I, I guess she works for the family, but either yeah, way, I think it's it was, Becky's assistant. Yeah. He had a picture with Becky Falwell's assistant with their pants unzipped and their shirt up. Apparently it was supposed to be some type of themed party, but either way, it was pretty unflattering. And then later it got out that there was uh, an affair going on, some other very uncomfortable things that have come out. And I bring all of that up because one of the things that was Jerry Jr.'s response to this was, you know, I definitely went into a bad place because my wife had an affair on me. And that to me kind of felt very like Adam and Eve ish mm -hmm. where God is like, Adam, what did you do? And he was like, oh, the woman you gave me mm -hmm. did this, therefore leading me to take these actions. He didn't, based off of what I've read, take responsibility for his own actions. Mm. And then once all of the scandal starts coming out of the details of these affairs and other issues, when they ask him again, hey, how are you feeling? His response wasn't repentance. His response was quoting Martin Luther King, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. I'm so glad to be gone. And again, I struggle with that because it's kind of like, so you're not sorry at all. Yeah. Like you don't have any words of, of repentance to faculty, to the students that looked up to you. And 
man, I just feel like that's just a bad way to leave. And I can't help but say, despite whatever good things he managed to accomplish for the school, that still leaves a bad taste in my mouth of bad leadership. And, you know, I guess the future will tell us what what it looks like for him. But I really do hope that him and his family get some help, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. Also to add that quoting MLK in this situation for what happened, that is the most distasteful, out of context quote to use of MLK in this situation. I agree. I, I, I mean, it's this is not this is not apples to apples. That's just to me revealed a lot in his own heart, and not even understanding the legacy of of MLK, Dr. King. I mean, I just when he said that, I was like, oh my gosh. And then even too the quote that he did that he did quote of Dr. King. You know, I'm free at last. So the very school that you love and you defended and you, you know, boasted to the world about, you are basically saying that you're happy to be out from under them? Or was it mm. the fact that the rug got pulled out from under you and you're upset that things got exposed and happened in a way that, quote unquote, made you look bad? And to me, that's kind of what that revealed. And I think as well, from the chronological events of things that happened, you know, he resigned and then it became public. And then he said that he wasn't going to resign. And then the board effectively were like, hey, the board of trustees were saying like, hey, no, you, you need to resign. And so he did. To me, that whole game and all of that to what you said, I don't see any repentance. I don't see a woeful, like, like a grief and even like a, a humble, like just lament, like, hey, my sin it, I'm broken. My, my, my wife is broken. We are broken. And what happened is sexual perversion on the highest level. And we participated and willfully hide it, hid this underneath the table. And we also got into bed with politics and try to get this covered up. And, you know, with Michael Cohen and all of those different types of things. I mean, it's just, it's, it's very disgraceful. I, I didn't see any type of like, just even the simple word, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. or I shouldn't have done this. And so I think, you know, in all reality, all of us as human beings, our nature is to blame, defend, and complain when we are caught in our own sin. That's how we respond. And so I saw that from him. And to me, that is an indication of like, you know, the overflow of your mouth, your heart speaks. And so that's, that's what I'm seeing right now. And so I'm not judging his heart. I'm just saying that's what I'm hearing from his heart as he's speaking and saying these things. I want to go into this area, though. Because, you know, there was a large majority of people that openly quick to say what Jerry Jr. did was completely wrong. And then also a few people, not as many, but there were a few that were dismissing the case. I just want to know from you and in your experience seeing this with Jerry and maybe even any element of life where a similar situation might transpire. When do you feel it is a good time to extend grace to an individual for something that they've done? And when do you think it is safe to actually cast judgment or I would even say show some discernment in the actions or in the words that we may have against this situation or individual? Good question. Hard question. And I think that there is no specific, quote unquote, black and white answer to any of this. I think it's very gray and nuanced because we are dealing with people and we're complex and dynamic individuals. And so I think the first part is we always extend grace to everyone. Every mm-hmm. single person on earth, my, and myself included, because I want that same type of grace as well. We always extend it to other people, whether they deserve it or not, right? I mean, that's what grace is. That's what mercy is. And people deserve that regardless of their responses, whether they repent or whether they don't. And it is that grace and mercy that we do extend to others 
that they would in kindness and love receive that and respond well to it. And that would lead them to repent, right? Because the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. I mean, that's what brought me to repentance, to believe in Jesus in the first place. And so we all need that. And I believe that we need to extend grace to to Jerry. And honestly, like everything I saw online, especially on Twitter, man, people were dragging Jerry and Becky through the mud and even below the mud. And so yeah. it, it was that appropriate? No. Are people angry and hurt? Yes, I do understand that. But I think to disgracefully talk about people in that type of way, it just makes me feel like, man, I never want to be a public figure and fall by any type of grace because of the way people respond. And so I believe that we extend it. I think as well, you know, I don't think we can cast any judgment because all of us are with, with sin. You know, it's kind of like Jesus defending the adulterous woman. He's like, if any of you haven't sinned, you know, you can cast the first stone. And so, I mean, none of us can cast a stone because we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think in that, though, there is a measure of accountability and a measure of realizing what you have done and being accountable to that. And so that's the part that we are allowed to hold public figures, Christian leaders, church leaders, anybody who is a Christian to a standard, especially like being baptized. Like that's an example to us declaring to the world, like I am a believer. Call me out when I do not act as though Christ is like called me to live. And so, um, you know, that's what it means to be essentially a Christian. And so I believe that we're allowed to call those things out, but we are to do it with gentleness. We're to do it with love. We're to do it with grace. And we're even allowed to do it with righteous anger, mm-hmm. not righteous, you know, anger to, to lead to sin, but we're allowed to do it in that type of way. And so in all of this, I believe that Jerry and Becky need accountability. And I think that autonomy that you talked about before leads to this place of being able to be power hungry, control driven, and to sin without any type of consequences. And so sin does have consequences, eternal consequences, earthly consequences, legal consequences, all the above. There's all types of consequences for sin, relational consequences, emotional, spiritual, physical, all these different types of things. It can lead us to all these different places. And so the reality is this type of situation is like a grenade being thrown into a room and there's shrapnel everywhere and there's consequences to that. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. We have to embrace the consequences and we just have to, we have to call it for what it is. Yeah. Uh, I love what you just said. There's a difference between dragging them through the mud and calling them outside of their name and all that type of stuff, trying to shame them. And there's also the level of like, this was messed up. Yeah. What happened was wrong. And there needs to be some type of change from it. I do think that there's a difference in tone and heart with those two. And hopefully we even talking about it are representing the more Christ-like way of viewing it, calling it for what it is, but not necessarily trying to bring shame. You know, I do want to know this though. If you had your way, you know, if you became the chancellor of Liberty University, you'd be a great one, by the way. (laughs) That, That school would be lit. <laughs> Coachella at Liberty. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, best believe. Best believe. Uh, Christcello well, over here. Christcello. <laughs> what would you want to see uh, from Liberty? What do you What do you think the next move should be? What do you hope to see happen at Liberty University now with Jerry Jr. having to step away? I think that the first thing that I would do is honestly come out and admit all of the things behind the scenes that have gone on and have been unaccounted for from the, from the lack of accountability, uh, leadership being transparent, 
the financials. I know right now they're going through a person, they're going through an outside investigation of finances and how things were spent. I'd be honest about that. The lack of representation in, of people of color and leadership, both men and women, and to be honest about how liberty has not spoken up enough to defend black lives and to call out racism and white supremacy for what it is. I would, I would stand up and say, we've done a poor job of that, and it is time to step up and to do that. The next thing that I would do as well is I would create a succession plan for a lot of the older leadership that is there and lovingly usher them and say, hey, we're thankful for what you've done. We thank you for your experience. We thank you for what you've poured into us. But it is time to transition and allow a generation that has come behind you to step in and to usher in a new type of leadership and a new type of culture into the school. I believe that the culture needs to change at Liberty. And the only way that you can change culture is by changing leadership and leadership being transparent and being honest, because we know that leadership leaks and from the top, it falls down. And so I would address that as well. I would also address the faculty and staff that have not been honored. I mean, I've read in the past couple of years, there's been so many staff that have been fired, let go, or just even in fear that they at any moment, if they say anything against the university, they're going to be let go. And it's like, you got to remove that because without faculty and teachers like and professors, you're not going to have a school. Um, who's yeah. going to teach the students? And so you need to really find a way to honor them and let them know that they are loved and that they are cared for. I think as well, I would also change the culture by taking all of the eggs out of the political basket and saying, we are believers. We are called to, to as a citizens of the United States to be responsible and to do our civic duties, to vote and to, and to care and to be aware of what's going on, not just at the federal level, but the local and state elections as well, which are very, very important. And to, to honestly... I would love to see Liberty move into a place of economic generosity. Hmm. I believe that Liberty has like kind of taken over Lynchburg. And I think that they should let go and say, man, how can we care for lower disenfranchised students and families in the city? Because again, this school is to be a light to the world, but it's in a city that you're not even necessarily being fully the light in the, in the city that you're in, your own backyard, and it's time to care for those people. And you and I know in the city of Lynchburg, there are clear delineations between areas that are well-off economically and areas that aren't. For sure. And so what would it look like for a school that has been heavy, heavily invested into real estate to translate that into economic relief and you know domestic and community-related efforts to help families out? I think that that would be a very beautiful thing and to use that generosity to help others, right? Because they brag all the time that they have four to five $4 billion in, in endowment. I'm going, well, it's maybe some time to start doing some stuff with that. And so I would love to see some of those things happen. I think there's a lot of other things that they're doing well that they need to continue doing, like student leadership, and to continue driving the efforts of one-on-one -on -one discipleship and discipleship in the hall and discipleship within a community. I think athletes at the athletic department is a great opportunity to make money for the school, but also to be a light to the world and to show that you know these athletes can honor the Lord with their heart, mind, soul, and their bodies, and um, to compete at a high level as well, too. Um, I would also focus on academics, like Liberty needs to continue pushing the efforts of academics to be a very gifted place. And so, yeah, that's some of the things that I would focus and do. Absolutely love that answer. So good. Hey world, this episode is brought to you with the help of my friends at Ambo TV. Ambo TV brings inspirational live sermons from the most captivating next generation Christian pastors, along with in-studio discussion to a broad multi-platform audience. Check out AmboTV.com and at Ambo Network via social media to see all the great sermons and pastors they showcase, including myself, Steve Francis. Right now though, let's get back into this conversation with my friend, Eric Hodge. Thank you.
The first thing you mentioned, you know, just let the stuff come out. Because here's the truth. More grace is always given to the people that confess than get caught. Amen. Every time. Repeat that. You know what I mean? And if you decide to confess what's going on as opposed to get another magazine or newspaper to expose something else that happened there, you only look worse. You might as well just be like, this is the dirt. This is what it is. And we're going to course correct. We're going to move forward. And, you know. Again, I don't want this to be an episode where we slander stuff, but it's crazy now knowing some of the things that have gotten out. And I remember having students that I knew that worked under them and they would say, this happened at the Falwell house. These things transpired privately. And I remember saying, no, that's, that's not real. That there's no way that's, that's whatever. I was like, you're making that up. Why would you say that? And now there's a level of like, are they right about that? And I don't say that just to be like, oh, what does he know? All I'm saying is, is that this could get a lot worse. Yeah. And the idea of getting ahead of it probably would be in their best interest. In addition to all the things that you mentioned also, if they decided to pour some money into the community, oh my goodness, what Lynchburg would be. What a beautiful place. And as great as it is that we have a bunch of great restaurants and other stuff that are centered at Liberty Mm -hmm. University, what the community could benefit from if they decided to take an avenue like that would be huge. Have you, because you've had the privilege of not only being a part of Liberty, but you've had the privilege of stepping into some great churches Do you ever feel like there's a connection with mentality in how Liberty does things compared to other churches? Yeah, I mean, I I do in this sense. A lot of churches are run like a business and thus creating a culture of a business in the congregation and the church as a whole. And so, I mean, Liberty was essentially run as a business first minded school rather than leading in a spiritual type of nature. And so I believe that a lot of churches are as well. I mean, I talk to pastors all the time. Um, I still kind of consult a little bit with pastors and churches, and they're calling me all the time. And one of the top questions, what do you think is asked to me, is how can I grow my church bigger? What can I be doing to be, quote unquote, more relevant? And so for me, I think that there's a time and place to kind of talk about that. But I also think at the same time, if that is the litmus test, or the barometer that you're using to judge the healthiness and success of a church, woe unto you. Mm. I think that's a very poor and misguided measurement of healthiness. And I also think that Jesus died for something much bigger than specifically numbers in the size of a church. He died for people. And so I know a lot of times pastors will try to disclose that as well. Like, well, we want to grow big because it's about people and people represent, you know, people represent numbers. And so we want a lot of numbers because it is people. And I'm like, eh, okay, that's semantics here. But, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I've seen those things go hand in hand. I think also the culture of quote unquote hiding sin behind closed doors is definitely mm-hmm. very prominent at the expense of losing exposure. When your focus and goal is exposure and quote unquote fame and people having hundreds of thousands of listeners to your podcast and checking out your sermons online, you will do everything at all costs to avoid being on the opposite side of that narrative where you lose people. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of churches and pastors make a lot of decisions, not based in the spirit, but based on quote unquote human and mankind success. Mm. I definitely feel you on that. Numbers matter because people count, but there's a level of intention behind it. 
Are you trying to be the most effective where you're at? Or are you just trying to be the most popular? Mm-hmm. There's a big difference with that for sure. You've experienced also personally some church hurt. Can you talk to me about some of those personal experiences that you've had and how do you overcome it? Because I know that's a big thing for a lot of people, even in culture right now, yeah. that will probably never darken the door because of some things that they've experienced in church. But you've experienced some stuff that were tough, yet you you continue to attend church. Oh, talk to us about that. Yeah. So I think one of the things we need to realize as Christians is that the harm that we do to other people, whether they're Christians or not, is actually can be one of the worst examples of our witness to the world and to Christians. We're kind of our own, it's like self-sabotage. We're our own worst enemy a lot of times. And it's not that people don't expect us not to mess up. We will. But the fact is, do we recognize it? Is there an awareness? And do we repent and make an effort to make it right and not do better? And I think that that is something, as all Christians, myself included, need to step up and do better at. And so in particular, I wanted to kind of share two instances about, you know, some church hurt. And again, there's so many people dealing with church hurt and church hypocrisy and so much things that are out there. And I think even the word church hurt has kind of become a label that has just gone astray and just not been great. But just for the sake of context, I'll use that. But when I was at Liberty, there was actually a a pastor that came and spoke at Liberty in combo. And I actually met him and met some of the other pastors that he brought with him. And they invited me and some of the guys on my dorm to come attend their church and be a part of like their outreach and youth on some weekends. And they said they would feed us and, and house us and all that kind of stuff. So we're like, yeah, absolutely. And so we ended up going up to the, to the church and, you know, I don't want to go get into specifics. So I'll just speak in kind of generalities of, you know, places mm-hmm. and names and all that. So we went up to this church, we're helping with outreach and youth and they had a really big youth program and stuff. And it was really great. I mean, the pastor was awesome. He was very generous. His, his staff was as well. They fed us. They actually had like a, a really nice cafe. They actually like used to like try to do recipes from like PF Chang's there. Anyways, so they fed us and helped us. And the pastor was like, hey, man, I'm available for you guys for discipleship and stuff. And so I brought guys up there. We were able to ask a lot of the pastors questions and stuff and kind of pick their brain. And so we did that trip. I think it was three times we went up there and uh, stood for the whole weekend and everything. It was really, really great. And later, come to find out, after I graduated, that same pastor ended up making the news because he was selling drugs he had an affair with his secretary. So I personally knew her because she's the one who set up all these, you know, the trips and stuff for us to come up there. He had an affair with his secretary for about five years. And he also was caught sleeping with underage women. Wow. And so, you know, this is someone I never thought would ever be in this type of position. It was someone even Liberty kind of deemed and said, man, this is an incredible church. You guys need to follow them and love them. And I mean, obviously they probably didn't know all this stuff at the time, but all this stuff came out. And this particular pastor is now in federal prison. There is justice for the victims that he, you know, abused and, and, and was in these relationships with. And that is just devastating in and of itself to see a pastor and a bunch of other pastors and leaders do that. And you know, that church really went through a very difficult time and really had to close up shop for a long time. And a lot of my friends were like, you took me there. You took, you, you know, you invited me to this church. And so I had to walk alongside a lot of guys and kind of make sense of all of that. You know, a kind of a, a, another experience as well in short was, you know, I was at one time on staff at a church and this church was a really fast and growing and incredible church. And, you know, there was just kind of this overnight success, you quote unquote say that kind of happened to us. And 
with that overnight success, things kind of change in the way that we viewed ministry. Things started becoming more about numbers and growing the church. And when things didn't grow necessarily as fast as it should have, there was a lot of unhealthy tendencies and leadership and lack of accountability that kind of came into fruition. And so I just experienced a lot of unhealthiness and things that were done in ways that weren't spirit led and driven and things that were done for the bottom line and number and budget and platform for an exposure. And, you know, when you kind of are working and operating in that mindset and that framework, you start to neglect the important things and you begin to overlook things that you said you would never overlook. And the thing that you kind of founded yourself on, you really get away from. And when character doesn't become a priority anymore, there's a lot of things that hide underneath the table and don't get exposed. And so all that to say, I have seen firsthand pastors and church leaders really use success, quote unquote, success for the kingdom and abuse it and and really use it for personal gain and to puff up themselves and to grow their own kingdom. It, it, it quickly changed from growing the kingdom of God to growing the kingdom of man and a pastor centric church rather than a kingdom driven church. And so, you know, it's been sad. It's been hard. I wish I could say there's one answer to give to people who have experienced church hurt and pain and say, hey, here's the thing you need to do. Here's the thing you need to read. Here's the thing you need to watch to help you get over that pain. And truthfully, the reality is there isn't one specific thing. I think one of the things that I have focused on myself personally is to say that these, this pain and experience that I've gone through is man, not God. Hmm. This is man and even women using God in vain and sinning in the name of Jesus, but not Jesus himself sinning and not God, the father sinning and the Holy spirit as well. And so I've had to kind of reconcile that. I've also had to say that we all are broken and hurt people, hurt people, and they lead out of their brokenness. And so the reality is pastors will be judged more strictly and held to a a higher standard. And so all you can do is really call these things out for what it is and just kind of, if people don't respond, then you have to walk away. You have to separate yourself from that. And so what I realized as well is that the church doesn't need more hypocrites, doesn't need more self-centered and, and self, you know, uh, narcissistic leaders. It needs humble, kind, gentle, fruit of the spirit type of leaders who are willing to lay down their lives for the sheep and to realize that it's not about them. And so, you know, again, like I said, I wish I had one type of answer to give to people, but the reality is, is if you've experienced church hurt or pain, I just want to encourage everyone out there to to deal with it. Don't hide it. Don't be passive aggressive about it, but really deal with it. Journal about it. Talk to a professional counselor, talk to other Christians, talk to safe people and admit what's gone on. Because if you don't heal, if you don't reveal what's hidden, it will never, you'll never have the opportunity to heal it. And so I believe that God wants us to reveal these things so that these things can be healed. And I'll also say this for all of the church leaders and pastors who do these sinful things behind closed doors, hoping to never get caught. I hope that in the year of 2020, we realize that things will be exposed Mm. one way or another, especially in the name of Jesus and God's church. He will not allow these things to to reside and to stay in the darkness. He will bring these things out to light. I wanted to share real quick two quotes that I read today that I think is kind of helpful. Yes. First one is when people fail you, remember to give them as much grace as you expect God to give to you. Mm. And I saw Lecrae, he, he posted that today. I was like, okay, that's really good. Um, and then one of my other homies, BJ Thompson, he said this, 
It is strange to me how pastors treat the church like a business and then have issues when the congregation acts like, like the church is actually a business. Hmm. So I wanted to use those two quotes to summarize my previous answer. So that's a bomb right there, bro. That's a bomb you just dropped, but we're out of time. Eric Hodge, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you, Francis, for having me on here. And shout out to the Humble and Honest Podcast. Man, what a great conversation with Eric Hodge. Thank you, Eric, for being on the show and also being such a great friend to me. And to all my listeners, I'll put a link in the description of some of his latest work for you guys to check out for yourself. I also want to thank you guys for listening and being a part of this conversation today. I hope you will join me again soon on the next episode of the Humble and Honest Podcast.